Hello, and welcome to I Am Not Overreacting. I'm your host, Emily Pastrana. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, birth doula, and yoga instructor, and I'm here to talk about the stuff that nobody else wants to. From sex, painful periods, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond, we will cover it all and nothing is off limits. We've come to a point where we have normalized complications with our body instead of normalizing getting help for the complications. I want to help change that. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone, and you always have a seat at my table. Now let's get this party started. Before we begin, I want to remind listeners that I'm Not Overreacting is a podcast designed to encourage thought and spark the empowerment to have the tougher or less comfortable conversations. The information in this podcast is never intended to treat, cure, or fix any specific problem, condition, or diagnosis. Always consult with your provider or birth team before trying a new exercise or treatment method. Thank you and enjoy. Stop talking about your period. Really? Another photo of her stomach? Childbirth makes me uncomfortable. Have a glass of wine. Relax. Wait till you have a baby. You're hardly showing. Are those twins in there? You're huge. Make it stop. And I'm not overreacting. All right, everybody. Welcome back to I'm Not Overreacting podcast. It's me, Emily, per usual. Um, and I have a really fun guest with me. I have Carla Moreno Bryce here with me today. I'm going to let her tell you what she does and who she is because, guys, I'm so fascinated. I'm so excited. It's personal for me. And I hope you learn a lot. Carla, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Well, thank you, Emily, for having me. It's a pleasure. I am a registered dietitian. I follow a vegan lifestyle along with my two year old daughter, Camila, and my husband, Luke. And I'm also the founder of vegan.kids.nutrition on Instagram, which is where you can find me. And my mission really is to empower vegan moms to help guide them in feeding their infant, toddler, and or child um, a helpful vegan diet to support a proper growth and development. And so as a vegan mom myself, I can relate with a lot of challenges that other vegan parents um, go through in this journey. And so you know, I'm really here just to to be of support and a resource to other parents who choose to raise their kids on a vegan lifestyle too. That's so amazing. And like I told you before we even started recording, uh, most of my followers and listeners know I'm a vegan myself. My husband is um, a vegan as well. And one of my you know concerns I think of actually quite often is how do I do this with a child? Mm-hmm. And I found your account and it was like, oh, she exists. I'm so excited. And something I always let my listeners know too is while Carla and I certainly believe in a vegan diet, we understand it's not for everybody and we're not telling you all you have to be vegan. But, and this is going to kind of carry us right into where we're going, we're moving into a very veg curious world. Um, right. Plants are becoming more popular, which I don't love if it's a fad, but I love that there's going to be more plants around. So, right? Yes, we're, we're happy. Absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, any, you know, any change that you can make to introducing more plant based foods is always an improvement. And, you know, it doesn't require for you to to be perfect, right out of the get go, you know, you can start at your own pace, you can transition, you know, at your own time. And so yeah, any change, any addition that you can include in your meals um, is a great thing. I agree. I think it's so great. And 
just, you know, we always want to disclaim all are welcome here. And Mm -hmm. I know people are curious and Carla is going to be a great resource for you guys. So we're going to start with a topic that I I think is probably going to be our most popular. And it's something Carla, I see a lot and I don't work in the world of dietetics and nutrition, but I work Mm -hmm. with new moms um, and pregnant women and pregnant people. So we're going to do the whole milk dairy debacle because dairy intolerance is becoming more diagnosed, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are dairy intolerant. And before it used to be, you're either lactose intolerant or you're not. It's more than that. And it's beyond that. And I'm glad to see physicians are, are catching it. And I'm seeing a lot in babies. Moms aren't knowing what to do. Babies not tolerating dairy. Let's start with milk. What, what should they do? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And it is something that we are seeing a lot, um, you know, as in terms of cow's milk allergy being diagnosed early on. You know, many believe that cow's milk is more natural and nutrient dense, but you know, that's not really true. Cow's milk actually does still lack nutrients. And so it's fortified with vitamin D. It's a great source of calcium, but you know, the reason for that is really because it's meant to promote growth for a calf in a very short period of time. So we humans don't really uh, have any requirements for this, but because dairy products are considered to be a good source of calcium, you know, we have been conditioned to believe that quote unquote, <laughs> milk does the body good. Yeah, exactly. But there is, <laughs> there's extensive research that simply doesn't hold up to that statement. As you mentioned, one of those is allergy, right. but there's actually uh, evidence showing that high consumption of dairy appears in groups who have the highest rate of hip fractures. So, wow. you know, I, I want to clarify that it doesn't necessarily mean or prove that dairy causes bone fractures or osteoporosis, but it simply shows us that we as humans don't need cow's milk to get our calcium to build strong bones and teeth. We can we can get them from plant sources. Right. It's not exactly being the preventative we maybe chalked it up to be. Correct. And that's that's important to note is that while we're not saying it's bad, we're saying that it's pretty evident that it's not a hundred percent necessary and it's not an end all be all for bone health. It's just not. Correct. Yeah. We can, we can get those same nutrients uh, from plant foods. So, you know, from a nutritional standpoint, cow's milk is also high in saturated fat, which has been shown to increase risk of heart disease. Mm -hmm. And this is something that plant sources for the exception of coconut um, and other non-dairy milk alternatives don't provide. That's so important to know. And okay, so it takes us right into a question I get a lot and I'm not fully equipped to answer and it is which milk is best. I'm getting the most questions about pea protein milk with with, I'd say almond milk in second. I think almond milk is very accessible. Mm -hmm. Almost all stores have it. So I think it's really easy to grab, but the pea protein is becoming a little trendier. And then we have a lot of other choices. What, what do you think of all those? Rank yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you introduced this question because you know that a common question that I get from parents is what plant milk is most appropriate for their growing child, right. and you know I do want to touch base into the pea based 
milk and other sources. But, you know, just to answer really quickly here, the most appropriate <laughs> plant milk that supports growth um, is unsweetened fortified soy milk. Now, nutritionally speaking, that's because it's the most comparable to that of breast milk. And so soy milk compared to other plant milks does provide appropriate ratios of fat, calories, carbohydrates, and protein. Okay. It's more well-balanced. Yes, it is. So for the first time, unsweetened soy milk is actually part of the American Dietary Guidelines for 2020-25, which is something that has not been seen in the past. And this is actually a great thing because it shows us that we're making progress towards accepting soy milk as a plant milk that can support optimal growth. And I say that because often parents question about the safety of soy foods. You know, they, they question about the issues of hormone and our breast cancer. And so many parents, and I'm sure you've probably encountered this with them, that they have read, heard, or even personally been recommended by healthcare providers to avoid the use of soy because of its hormone effect. And although research is limited on this topic, there is evidence that really indicates that soy does not affect hormone levels in children. Right. I I read them. Yeah. It's, it's, it, from what we know, it does not. Mm -hmm. Yes. Correct. Yeah. You know, they're typically this concern is related to breast cancer or early menses in girls, but you know, there's a study, um, in the seven day Adventist that looked at, um, you know, over 300 girls showing high intakes of soy protein foods and to them, high intake was probably around 24 servings per week. And there was actually no association with early menses. And that's a Um, lot per week. Yes, it is. Yeah. I I mean, just to show you kind of a reference, the appropriate servings of soy foods would be one to three uh, servings per day for a child. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why soy milk is also uh, most appropriate is because soybeans are very nutrient-dense plant food. Um, They provide nutrients like folate, iron, and potassium. And so they're actually higher in protein and fat compared to other legumes. So for any parent feeling confused about when plant milk to use, it's choose unsweetened fortified soy milk. Now, as far as um, Mm pea-based protein that one is also uh, an appropriate alternative. Um, you know, it does provide adequate calories and protein compared to other plant milks. However, it does lack carbohydrates. And so, you know, it's not as well balanced as soy milk. Okay. And so for that being just for any parent uh, choosing a pea-based milk, it's just making sure that the diet is appropriately uh, planned and well-balanced to make sure that those carbohydrates are met uh, from other sources of food. That's really helpful because there are from leaving the like taboo mm-hmm. kind of fake stuff about soy products. Some people do have a soy intolerance, just like right. a dairy intolerance. And so I have had some of those parents asking the question, if even if they know soy is best, they don't mm-hmm. know what to do because their little ones may be gassy or not handling soy well for whatever reason. So would you say pee would be your your next level down? Would that be your second choice? Absolutely. Yes. So it would be soy, pea, and then the third one would probably be um, oat, oat oat-based milk. That kind of brings in another quick question then. (laughs) Oat. I I love oat milk. That's when I'm putting anything in my coffee. If I drink it, it's it's oat milk. I like it. Mm -hmm. But 
notice we have not said almond. Correct. <laughs> and I think, I think that's tricky because like I said, it's, I am, it's strictly opinion-based. I don't have any literature on this. Mm-hmm. So feel free to correct me. It seems to be the most widely used mm-hmm. non-dairy milk. I mean, yes. almonds everywhere. I don't necessarily know why almonds are pretty expensive. It's not like it's the easiest to make. I'm not sure why, but it's everywhere from a nutritional standpoint. Is there ever a time you recommend it? You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot use it um, in right. a child's diet or in your family's diet. You can certainly use it um, in recipes and baking goods um, for making hot cocoa, for coffee. Sure. <laughs> um, but as far as supporting a child's growth, um, you know, it, it's not the most appropriate plant alternative. It's good to know. I think that's important for people to hear. It's important for me to hear. I wouldn't know if I were to. So that's so helpful. So, okay, good. Looking at that guys, what, what we're hearing is I'll just recap it. Number one would be a fortified soy milk. Number two would be a pea based milk. Number three would be oat milk, which I love. So you have options, you guys, but what's important, what Carla said is if soy is not for you, just remember the carbohydrate component of soy is not going to be included in your pea protein-based milks. So making sure the diet stays well-balanced with other things is so important. Yes, that is really the key. And that I'm glad you mentioned it now because, you know, just making sure that the diet is Mm well-planned, appropriately balanced, includes a variety of foods um, is really uh, the important key to remember when feeding a child. That's great. That's so useful. I knew I'd learn so much (laughs) from you. Uh, This is going to take us to our next topic and it's kind of vague. So we'll just see where we go. And if we have to rein it in, we will. But when it comes to introducing more plants, parents know, we all globally know plants are good and we should be eating more of them. Even if you don't want to be vegan, we know more Mm -hmm. plants are better. So that's pretty universally known. So When it comes to introducing plants to your little, there's a lot of things to consider. There's texture, nutrient density, sweet, salty, fruit, vegetable. It's overwhelming. And a lot of times I know parents just want to give whatever their kid likes the most. If it's blueberries, they're eating blueberries all day, every day, because it's a plant (laughs) and the kids are saying yes. So when you're going to introduce plants, do you have a salty versus sweet, fruit versus vegetable how do you just, how do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. And, you know, it can be a little overwhelming for parents to know where to start or what food to, to introduce. And, you know, I want to kind of tie back to what you said, that it's a wonderful thing that parents are aware of how plant-based foods in general um, is beneficial for, for anyone. But this often brings some challenges and frustration to parents when their child or children don't want to eat certain foods, especially for kids who are much older now and have been raised on a different eating pattern. So feeding becomes a little bit more challenging at this stage of growth. While it's easier to help kids develop eating habits when they are much younger, you know, it's never too late. And that's something that I want parents to remember that it's never too late to begin introducing more plant-based foods. So it might just take some time and it might just take some discussion, letting their kids know what's going to happen um, and a lot of patience. So just if you're a parent, you know, struggling with this, give yourself some grace, um, but also some empowerment knowing that 
you're introducing more plant-based foods to your kids. That's um, great. Cause you're never past the point of no return. That's yeah. important to remember you guys. That's I'm glad you said yes. that Carla. Thank you. Go ahead. So when it comes to just, you know, as far as what to introduce, I think, you know, starting with just whether that's one vegetable or one fruit or one legume, um, even if it's just a week, you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, at every meal, I have to introduce something new to them. Um, that might be overwhelming for you and it might get overwhelming for the child too. So just start small. If you want to grab one vegetable a week, something that's new to, to you and your family, uh, that would be a good place to start. Something that I recommend to parents is to have the child be involved as much as possible, whether that's selecting the vegetable to have for the meal, whether that's uh, washing that particular uh, vegetable or food, uh, peeling it, or even just smashing something, whatever it may be. The goal is for kids to just have some sort of engagement with these foods. It's not necessarily to you know, to get them to eat these vegetables. I mean, of course we want them to eat those <laughs> right, foods <right. laughs> because we know they're beneficial for their health, but what's more important is to help them establish healthy eating habits so that they can, you know, become competent eaters later in life and, you know, have a healthy relationship with, with food in general. So the more engagement they can get, the more familiar they become with the taste and the texture of foods and the closer they are to learning to like those foods. I love that. And something I see you share, and it's so great that you are raising a vegan little because you get to share your experience with those of us who follow you, which is really nice. But I see sometimes you get, I put this on the plate. She kind of touched it for a little while and then put it down. But yes. first of all, what I'm, I always marvel at, and I'm not a parent, but I've seen a lot of parents, is you don't sound flustered. You're not, I, I wish she had eaten more of it. It's She looked at it. She kind of touched it. She maybe tried one and then put it down. You're so patient. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things for people to realize. Be patient. And I think we're kind of stuck in the whole, finish your plate. Right. You have to eat five and then you can move on. It seems like you don't apply that pressure and things end up working out, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes, not always. <laughs> yeah, You're still human. Guys, Carla's yes. still a human. She's not a magician. <laughs> I'm not perfect. And neither is my daughter for, for that matter. Sure. Um, but yes, you know, sometimes, and I think, you know, that mentality of wanting our kids to finish their plate or wanting our kids to try foods may stem from how we were brought up. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's no judgment or shame with no. that. Um, but it's important to kind of take a step back and look at how can I help my child, you know, learn to like these foods so that they can get to eat them. And so that's really what I would hope for parents to remember and to keep in mind when it comes to mealtimes. I, I can't say that I automatically started being so patient with my daughter. You right. know, there were, there were definitely times where, you know, I would, I was anxious and frustrated that she wasn't eating her vegetables, even though they were right there. <laughs> but it's important to kind of remember that a child, you know, eating is really a skill that children need to learn, you know, they, they are intuitive eaters, me meaning that they are aware of their hunger and 
they are aware of, you know, their environment, but at the end of the day, they still need to learn how to eat these foods and, you know, how they can get to do that is by being becoming more familiar with them. So, so if, if your child, you know, doesn't want to finish their plate or doesn't want to try their vegetables, you know, I know that it's okay. It's okay if they don't want to eat them. It's okay if they, you know, don't want to finish them. If you notice that they touched them and they moved it out of their plate, if you notice that they kind of just move them a little bit with their fork or, you know, an other utensil, that is a win because they're getting some sort of exposure and engagement with, with their foods. And so, you know, the more you can introduce these foods, the more they can be exposed to them, the more they become familiar with them, and the more likely they'll get to eat those uh, down down the road. Absolutely. I love what you said. There was so much value in there. I'm trying to like make light bulbs in my brain go off to try to keep them all. But first of all, I love how most recently it's a win if they're exploring their food. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that enough people realize that they would maybe look at all. They just kind of push it around their plate as a disappointment. And what you're saying is no, you learned something and your child learned something at that, at that experience, which is so empowering and wonderful to know. And it really turns this positive spin on something that a lot of parents might feel frustrated about. Yeah. Um, And then the tip I also really loved is be a part of the preparation or smashing or even picking things out of the store if if your if your child is old enough to maybe participate a little bit Mm -hmm. participation all of those things are leading to healthy eating it's not necessarily just putting it in your mouth and eating it you know right yes yeah that's amazing so we are almost there we have one more topic that is so horrible of me to put this pressure on carla but I like to do it for my guests <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to tailor it for her. I'm not going to be quite as general as I usually am, but picky eaters, they exist. Mm-hmm. I'd yes. say they overwhelmingly exist. Oh yeah. And I want to know what is the one ish tip or fact or advice you would give to a family struggling with picky eating? What do you wish they all knew? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I think one, you know, all kids go through some sort of selective eating where they choose to not eat certain foods. Like that is typical for all children. And generally we see it around the age of two when they get to be more aware of their food and their eating style. And when they're not growing as fast as they were um, during infancy. And so the other thing is, it's really all about exposure of foods. You know, the more you can expose your child to different textures, different colors, um, different tastes, different flavors, that's going to really help a child, um, you know, want to eat more of those foods later on in life. And so the biggest thing that I would like for parents to know is that, you as a parent don't have to take on the pressure of getting your child to eat those foods. That's you great. as a parent, um, you know, your only role as a parent is to really just decide what to offer um, in a meal, when to offer it, 
and then allow your child to choose what they want to eat. And I think that is hard for some parents to really grasp because, you know, obviously as a parent, we, we want to do the best for our children and we want them to be healthy. And, you know, there's, that, that's really a great thing, but when it comes to mealtimes, it's important to give some sort of autonomy to our children so that they, they can feel seen, they can feel heard and they can feel and feel included in mealtimes. And so if you can just remember that your job as a parent is really to, to decide what to serve for a meal and allow your child to to choose what they want to eat from what you served, um, that's going to really help with mealtimes in letting them be successful. I think that is a great tip. It made me think of one question, and I don't know if you can answer it quickly. <laughs> sure. If you cannot, don't worry. Um, but it does make me think of one more question that maybe you can answer for us really quickly. Mm-hmm. Is there an easy way to tell between I don't like that food or I just don't feel like trying it yet? Because of course there are some foods we just don't like. Right. Is it hard to tell? I think it's, it might not necessarily be the like where as opposed to some kids having some sort of sensory issues with food, like that is, that can be true for some kids, you know, they, they, they have a hard time with certain textures or certain feels. And so if you, if a parent is generally concerned, like, you know, I keep offering foods to, to my child and they're just not wanting it. They're not trying it. If you're overwhelmingly concerned, I think that's a time to seek guidance and assistance with that. Okay. That's good to know. So if you find it's a habit of kind of shutting down foods, even though you're trying over and over again, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. when we ask for help. Yeah. So yeah, being able to tell if it's a pattern or if it's just, I'm playing with it, doesn't mean I hate it. There, there's different signs to look for. Correct. Yes. Great. Well, Carla, thank you so much. This was just the best. I learned so much from you. I know listeners <laughs> are going to learn so much from you and I know they're going to want to follow you and watch along your journey. And maybe some of them might need your help. So where can we find you? How can we contact you? How can you, how can we work with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at vegan.kids.nutrition on Instagram. And that's where I really share a lot of tips for parents and also share how I feed my daughter um, during mealtimes. But, you know, if if anyone would like to learn more about raising or feeding their child on a vegan diet, I invite you to grab my free essential starter kit at www.vegankidsnutrition.com forward slash starter kit. And it's a free handout that you can get. And I just walk you through my five strategies um, to feel confident nourishing a child. So from what nutrients they need, what supplements they need, at what age, and even some feeding strategies that you and I talked to um, in today's podcast for how to set up a successful meal environment for you and your child. That is so great, you guys. First of all, she's giving you information for free that you can just learn more. (laughs) That is hard to find. And she's so qualified and has so much knowledge. And two, please go follow her. I learn something new every single day. I'm telling you from Carla's Instagram. I'm always looking at my husband like, David, did you know this? Or look at these plates. This is fine for kids. I'm learning something (laughs) all the time. So guys, seriously, please go follow Carla. Carla, thank you for making space for us today. I'm so thankful and grateful that you joined me. 
It's my pleasure. And thank you for having me again. Of course. We'll talk soon. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Thank you.